Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. Merry Christmas to you. My name is Michael Howard. I am the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church, and this is a podcast for anyone inside or outside of Seaford Baptist Church who is living the pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And it is that week. It is the week in which we celebrate Christmas. I hope that you are ready. December 25th is approaching. I hope that all of your shopping is done, and I hope all your cooking's done. Well, not done. Your cooking's probably not done, but I at least hope you have everything you need to cook, because going to a grocery store on December 24th, I mean, you got a better chance of going and living in the rainforest, right? Uh, going and living in the rainforest with no shelter, right? you got a better chance of surviving poisonous frogs and leopards that, that hunt at night than surviving a grocery store, surviving a Kroger on December the 24th. So I hope that you are ready, and I hope that you've been able to enjoy the season. It's been a little busy for me. I will not lie to you. I feel like I haven't gotten to really watch the movies. I haven't really gotten to listen to as much music as I would like. Um, And yet, you know what? It's really not about all of that. It's about celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ and his first advent and looking forward to his second and I have gotten, uh, I, I have been really blessed this Advent season with the Advent devotion that I'm using. It, it's uh, the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel by Jonathan Gibson. I'll be honest, I love his Be Thou My Vision. I have not loved O Come, O Come, Emmanuel nearly as much as Be Thou My Vision because it's too poetry heavy, but I have enjoyed it. it it's been good and uh, it's been you know, to to sit and to meditate upon the birth of the Lord Jesus, to meditate upon the incarnation, uh, it is a blessing. And despite the stress of this season for me as a pastor, it's brought me it's brought me joy. It's brought me glimpses of joy in the morning to to try to carry me through the day. I also have been thankful for our Christmas in the Psalms series we've been doing here at Seaford and the music we've been singing together and our night of worship and and all the different things that uh, that we participate. In our Christmas lights outreach that we do here at uh, SBC. So, all the things we participate in as a church body during this time of the year, I've enjoyed those things, despite the fact that I haven't got to watch as many Christian uh, Christmas movies as I had hoped, and I haven't really listened to as much Holly Jolly Christmas as I had hoped. Not enough Burl Ives, not enough Bing, not enough Frank uh, in my life, but maybe this week I can turn up the volume a little bit. Now, I wanted to tone it back in this episode. We've been talking about Christian nationalism and witch trials and all sorts of stuff over the last couple of months. And I thought the week of Christmas, maybe we can go a bit lighter. And what I want to do is actually talk about somebody that's important to me, somebody who is no longer um, here, somebody who's no longer with us, somebody who has passed on. Uh, In fact, if I could just read a passage from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21 and uh, verse 7 The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I want to talk to you about someone who has conquered, 
And if you have been going to Seaford for quite a while, you will know his name. If you have just started coming to Seaford in the last 10 years, you may not know his name because he passed away almost nine years ago to the date. If you do not go to Seaford, it's, it's very unlikely that you would know his name. But who I want to talk about today is my friend, Colonel Jim Baring. Uh, Jim, when I came to SBC back in... 2011, Jim was the guy who was handling the money, one of the two guys handling the money, and uh, the other guy still helping us handle the money. But uh, Jim, he, he was really, for all intents and purposes, the keeper of the funds. He was, he was our treasurer. He was balancing the books. And we have an amazing bookkeeper now that is on staff with us uh, and my sister, Linda Revia. But uh, Jim was the one who was doing this when I got here. And he had stepped into that role, and he was providing the church a level of service that really you would pay someone for, and now we do, but he was doing it for free at the time because he was just in a spot in life where he was able to do that. Jim was a widower. He had lost uh, his wife uh, some years before, and so he really just turned his time over to the church and turned his service, his hours, his energy, all of it, he just gave it to the church, and he did this uh, relentlessly in the time that I knew him, in the time before I knew him, uh, after his wife passed away. And I wanted to talk about Jim because uh, he passed away on December 31st, 2014, and it's been almost 10 years, right? Like I said, nine years since we lost him. And I thought, you know what? That would be a really uh, nostalgic and, and sentimental thing to do, to talk about the legacy of this man in my life and in our church, and just to share with you really the sort of impact that a guy in his 60s can have on a young pastor when he comes into a church, particularly when that man is suffering in front of that pastor. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I hope that you won't find this to be morbid, talking about someone who's passed away the week of Christmas. Instead, I hope that you will find it uh, to be a, a joyful recounting of my time that I got to spend being a pastor to my brother Jim. And I know that a lot of you are probably remembering people at this time of the year. I mean, I lost my grandfather on December 30th, I think it was. It was December 30th or 31st back in 2019. So it's, this is a time of the year where I have lost people, and I do tend to remember people. It is a time of the year you get nostalgic. So if you're doing that, I, I hope just hearing me talk about Jim in a glowing way will be maybe encouraging to you and and will help you to not just be sorrowful about the losses we have in our life, but to remember with joy the the great blessings that uh, that those that that we have lost, you know, brought into our lives when we when we had them. And and also I hope that it will spur you on to, you know, as you listen to this and you go into the Christmas season, hold your family and your friends and your loved ones more tightly because you never know when you're going to lose someone. So when I got here at Seaford, like I said, Jim was handling the money, and we became close fairly quickly. I was really intimidated by him at first because I was the youth pastor, right? And so you come in, and you're turning in your receipts, and it was intimidating for me because I went from having like a $3,500 budget at the church that I had last worked at before coming to Seaford to having like a $12,000 or maybe it was even a $15,000 you know, student ministry budget, and I didn't even know what to do with it. 
And so a lot of times I felt very sheepish as I would spend money because I was so used to working on a shoestring budget that as I would spend money and come to um, the gym with the receipts, I would always think that he was going to side eye me or go, what are you spending this money on? So, But Jim was incredibly trusting and, and he also... Uh, would encourage me to get the things I needed for the ministry. And so a working relationship developed. And Jim, about, uh, gosh, it was two years into me being here, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I believe it was stage four right off the bat. Like he, he had he had pretty serious... Actually, no, it wasn't. Let me take that back. They caught it early because Jim had a spinal disease, so he had to regularly get checked on his spine. So they actually caught it early, and that is what afforded him the years that he had with it. He he lived uh, for a couple of years with a very aggressive cancer, and it ended up, once it went to stage four, he stopped his treatments, and then he passed away in December of 2014. So just trying to get that timeline right. Like I said, it's been nine years, but in the short amount of time that I knew Jim, he taught me so much. Uh, and I'm going to go over seven things that Jim taught me in our podcast today. So here's number one. And if you have been around me in a meeting, you probably heard me share this story, but I'll share it again here. So now, first thing that Jim taught me is that our stuff belongs to God as the church. Okay, our stuff belongs to God. So I was in a meeting with this brother. And we're all sitting around. It was a church council meeting, and another local church had asked to borrow like all of our tables and chairs for a big outdoor event they were having. And we just start debating like whether or not do we do we trust these people to take care of our tables and our chairs. And we agreed that we liked the event that they were having. We thought it was a good event. We thought it was a, a like-minded cause. Right. The question really came to down to the welfare of our possessions. Do we trust them to not destroy our brown metal chairs? Do we trust them not to destroy our, our, our big round tables that we use, you know, quite often? We were using them every Wednesday night. We got some new tables now. It's been, it's been 12 years. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we were sitting in this meeting. We're talking about this. And, and it goes on for five, 10 minutes. Just, you know, will, should we or shouldn't we? Should we or shouldn't we? Will we or won't we? And Jim jumps in and he just goes, guys... It's not our stuff. And it just ended the conversation. We were all like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's not our stuff. It's God's. We are stewarding that which he has given us as a church. And we can trust God enough to let another local church borrow God's stuff, right? So Jim said that. And so many times over the last decade, I have been in meetings where I have spoken up and said, you know what? It's not our stuff. Or I myself started to talk myself into a little bit of a stingy cul-de-sac, if you know what I mean. Just, just clutching pearls a little bit, and I have to stop and go, you know what? We're stewarding God's stuff here. This isn't our stuff. And I just remember Jim's voice cutting through my conscience going, hey guys, it's not our stuff. And uh, I will always remember that. So that's number one. Jim taught me that our stuff belongs to God. Number two, Colonel Jim Baring taught me to celebrate as you suffer. To celebrate as you suffer. Jim was a joyful brother. He lost weight. I mean, I'm actually, I've got his picture pulled up on my uh, computer right now, and he, he's looking quite dapper as uh, the Jim that retired from the military, retired from the U.S. Air Force. He's 
again, he was a colonel. He was decorated. He's in uniform here, uh, wearing the dress blues, I think they call them, and he looks great. But, you know, Jim lost a lot of weight. He got sick. He got sick fast. He, he lost a lot of weight. Uh, he lost his ability to control his, his functions, if you know what I mean, in terms of going to the bathroom. And Jim, despite his suffering, remained so incredibly joyful. Like, we were at a men's breakfast one time, and he raised his hand, and, and he wouldn't mind me sharing this. I mean, he shared this stuff publicly. Like, he suffered on a grand stage. So Jim uh, raised his hand at men's breakfast during prayer requests. We have men's breakfast every Tuesday at 6 a.m. here at our church, and we still do. And, and Jim raises his hand, and he goes, he goes, if you could pray for me, I... Uh, I had to, to, I was humbled, you know, I, I, I had to start this new treatment and they let me know it's probably going to cause me to lose control of my, of my ability to, you know, go to the bathroom when I want. And uh, so I had the humbling experience of going to the grocery store and buying some adult diapers. And so he tells us about this. He said, but the good news is I won't lose my hair. And we all crack up laughing because if you knew Jim, he was in the Bald Brotherhood with me, a card-carrying member of the Bald Brotherhood, you know, right along with Michael Jordan and other great bald men throughout the ages. So Jim cracks this joke off and we all start laughing, of course, and we're like, man, this guy just telling us about the issue of incontinence coming into his life. Like, there are people who would shut it down over that and say, I will never go outside again. And Jim didn't. Like, he just kept serving in the church. He kept coming to church and singing joyfully and listening to Christian music and cherishing songs that brought him joy and sharing Bible verses with people and encouraging them. And Jim taught me that you celebrate as you suffer. Even when he was past, you know, he came and told me in my office in early early November, maybe it was late October of 2014, uh, he came in my office and he said, you know, pastor, it's stage four now. I'm going to stop my treatments. I'm going to let nature take its course. I just wanted you to know. I said, okay, Jim, okay. And then two weeks later, he called me to his house. Uh, two or three weeks later, it was right before Thanksgiving. And he was like, I, you know, we need to plan my funeral. And we sat together and we planned his funeral. And it's the first time I'd ever done that as a pastor. And it was very uncomfortable for me at the time. Now, I've done that a few times since, but it was very uncomfortable for me, right? So we're planning his funeral and Jim just kept emphasizing. He was like, do not put any pictures of me out there. I don't want my casket. He, he, he wasn't, he was uh, cremated. He was not, you know, buried in a casket, but he was like, I don't want a casket out there. I don't want it to be about me. He was like, just put a cross in the in the in the front of the pulpit and sing where he, he planned a worship service because he wanted to celebrate. Just as he celebrated in his suffering, he wanted us to celebrate in his passing. And he kept telling me, even in his death, on his deathbed, his final words to me. He would told me, Don't cry for him. I was crying. And he said, He said, Don't cry for me. And I said, Jim, I'm not. I'm crying for me. And he just kept, you know, he kept talking about the other, the other people in his life. He wanted to make sure that the church would continue to love on his behalf, um, which I'll get to more of that in a second. So I'm not sad. I love Jim, and remembering him is bringing me tears of joy, even thinking about that, that last day with him. 
So Jim taught me to celebrate as you suffer. Number three, Jim taught me to serve until you can't. This brother, even after he had to start wearing diapers and stuff, he just kept coming to church. He helped us write a facility use policy, and he attended very long and arduous meetings. And sometimes he had to get up and leave those meetings because he had had an accident. He kept serving at VBS till the very end. Even though it was incredibly uncomfortable and it was incredibly difficult for him, he took care of the money as long as he could. I remember visiting him one day in a rehab facility after he had had a surgery to uh, basically fix, you know, rework the plumbing, rework his bowels. He was going to have to have some some stuff removed, and and uh, and so I come in there after the surgery's done. He's in the rehab facility. I walk in, and Jim's just got folders and papers spread out, and he's balancing the books of Seaford Baptist Church on the end of a hospital bed in a rehab facility with a curtain drawn down the middle of the room. And on the other side, there was an older guy who couldn't hear blasting gun smoke at, you know, 100 on volume on the TV. And here's Jim over here balancing the books of the Lord's church. He just didn't stop. He just didn't stop. He never let his suffering be an excuse to stop serving the Lord. Oh, man. Even as I'm talking about this, I feel convicted about how easily I can despair in the midst of hardship. And Jim just set a pace for us of what it looks like to serve in the midst of suffering. So, number four, Jim taught me what an Arlington internment is. Jim, as a colonel, he um, was buried in Arlington, and I got to be there for it. Now, I didn't do the funeral. I had a part in it. I got to read scripture, but it was just uh, it was led by a military chaplain. We were out at the the cemetery, the Arlington Cemetery there. I mean, we walked behind the the hearst that had his remains in it all the way to the gravesite. And I've been there twice to visit him uh, since then to go and see actually three times, I think once with my wife, once alone, and once with my brother Kenny Van Horn. Um, that was just actually back uh, last year we went there. But and, and saw 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 the place where he is, the place where he will rise again from on the day that the Lord Jesus returns. But it was a real honor to be a part of that. If you've never been to Arlington before, I encourage you to go. It's a humbling experience to see how many people have laid down their lives for our country. Plus, JFK's grave is there, which is quite a sight. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is quite a thing to experience. But to actually go to a military service there is one of the most touching things I've ever been a part of. It was incredibly... You know, I, it's American, right? So it's not sacred because it's American, okay? But it felt very sacred. It did, I have to say. Like, it felt very solemn, if you know what I mean. It just, it, it felt so, uh, it felt transcendent in some ways. Just, it, it's just like a level of intensity at that place that already exists. And then you're there putting someone to rest and their final resting place until Jesus returns that you love, uh, that just you know multiplies the intensity. It really is something to be a part of an Arlington internment. I, I will forever be grateful for the, for getting to be a part of that internment and um, grateful that Jim requested that I would be there with his family. It was an honor. Number five, Jim taught me sacrifice. Colonel Jim's uh, Jim Baring. 
he he actually – sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second because I had a sniffle. And I thought, did that sniffle go into the microphone? Are they going, gosh, this guy's over here snotting all over the place. So, yes, I, I lost my train of thought for a second. But it was out of concern for you, listener. Um, no, Jim taught me sacrifice. So when the second Gulf War broke out, Jim went. He went. As an older man, he went. And the reason he went is he said, if I go as someone who doesn't have a wife anymore, someone whose wife has passed away, someone whose kids are grown, then somebody who has a wife and kids at home might get to stay home. And so he went. And he actually was in charge of taking large, like large amounts of money back and forth from the United States over to Iraq. He, there are these incredible pictures of him with like, with like uh, saran wrapped pallets behind him of just stacks of cash. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars that he's flying over on a plane to get to the people, uh, to, the, to the troops and, and to the, uh, the military over in Iraq. It was incredible, this picture. Uh, I loved it. And Jim, he sacrificed to go. Let me tell you something else he sacrificed on. The Wednesday night before I was voted on as the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church, I noticed that Jim didn't look great. His skin was very yellow. I said, Jim, are you okay? You know, I said, your skin looks a little odd. And he shared with me that he's fine. Oh, I'm fine. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. You know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't really know at the time that pancreatic cancer can turn your skin yellow, make you jaundice. I didn't realize that. Make your eyes yellow. So I get voted in on the Sunday and then a week later, Jim is in the hospital, and I go to visit him, and he tells me that he has, uh, I, I may have just said stage four again, I don't know why I keep saying that, but anyways, he tells me it's pancreatic cancer. And I was like, Jim, why didn't you tell me? And he said, because I didn't want to take away from the celebration of you becoming the senior pastor. And... That meant so much to me. Now, he didn't need to do that. It would not have taken away from the celebration. But the fact that he did that shows the level of sacrifice that he has. He, he was like, I'll hold this information back. I'll, I'll hold back even people praying for me because they don't know yet. I'll, just, I'll hold it back and I won't let anybody know until we've been able to celebrate this young man becoming the pastor because Jim so believed in me, man. Like, this guy would constantly tell me that the biggest thing he was sad about is not getting to see what was next for Seaford Baptist Church. He so believed in me. And um, I don't know that I've always lived up to it, but the fact that he held that back so that the church could celebrate me becoming the pastor and so I could celebrate that without the knowledge that he was dying was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice. And uh, I'm thankful for him and for it. Number six, Jim taught me how to walk with somebody through suffering. I, I had no clue how to walk with a brother or sister in Christ who has a terminal disease through suffering as a pastor. And how do you learn that except by doing it? And God was incredibly gracious to give me Jim, who was incredibly gracious. Like Jim never got mad at me when I didn't know the right thing to say or if I asked him a question that was maybe even like a little a little too invasive, you know what I mean? He he never 
he never balked at those things and he never he never even corrected or rebuked me or anything like that. He just let me walk with him. And he would let me know if he needed me. And he would say, Hey, I think I'm gonna I think I'm really gonna need your prayers in the next few weeks. If you could text me a few times, that would be helpful. Like he he kind of led me on how to walk through suffering because he knew that I didn't know how to do it because I was at the time that all this was going on somewhere around 27, 28, 29 years old when, when he got diagnosed and then all the way to his death. So, was, you know, 28 to 30, kind of in that range. The year after Jim died, I did 11 funerals in a year. We buried so many people. Some of it was really sudden and unexpected, and some of it was people who were sick, and it was brutal on the church, and we all shed a lot of tears. But Jim and his his um, example to us uh, on how to suffer well, first of all, but also him showing me how to walk with people who are suffering, Jim blessed the whole church because I was a better pastor to the church as we buried those 11 saints. Um, Jim showed me how to shepherd someone's soul and prepare them for the last leg of the journey. And again, I'm incredibly grateful because even as I record this podcast, there are people that I'm walking that journey with as a pastor. I wouldn't know how to do it if not for Jim. Number seven, Jim taught me that widows should be treasured and cared for in the local church. Jim taught me that widows should be treasured and cared for in the local church. Jim Baring loved his widows. Jim Baring was an incredible deacon, and if if Jim was here now, and Jim was uh, with us and, and, and was healthy, then Jim would... He would, uh, he would absolutely be a man that we would be looking at to be a lay pastor as we look to, to move in that direction of having laymen pastoring alongside our, our vocational staff pastors. Jim is a guy that we would definitely look at and say, he's, he's a guy we want to ordain. He's a guy we want to set apart as a father of the church who can come to the table and shepherd and lead and pastor. He had all the gifting he could teach. He had the shepherd's heart. He had all of it. But he was also an unbelievable deacon. And this man loved one widow in particular who has also gone on before us. My sister, my cantankerous at times, uh, my let you know exactly how she's feeling at all times, my spunky uh, all the time sister, Lucille Clausen. Jim loved Lucille. And if you didn't know Lucille, she might rub you the wrong way because she she would look right at you and tell you how she's feeling about you, herself, and the whole world at all times. But Lucille loved Jesus, and Lucille was doctrinally strong. This isn't a podcast about Lucille, but uh, one time I came to her nursing home and to visit her. She she lived at a nursing home in Pocosin that was really, really nice, and I always enjoyed visiting her there. And I go into her room, and she had a new world translation, the Jehovah's Witnesses translation. She said, I found this, and it was just with all the other Bibles in the chapel here. And she said, I was going to throw it away, but I was scared that somebody would find it and that they would take it out of the trash thinking it's a Bible and they'd start reading it and they would, they would see all this false you know, teaching in here. She said, so can I trust you, Pastor, to destroy this? I said, absolutely. And uh, we got rid of that thing. So Lucille and Jim had a real connection. He was 30 years her junior, but he cared for her 
so well in her old age. He took her to doctor's appointments. He brought her to church. He took her home. He worked on things at her house. Even after he was sick, he was there for her. And then after he was too sick to do any of those things, he arranged other people to do it. And when Jim died, the last three things that he, well, the last four things he said to me were the four things he had been repeating to me for throughout the, the, the last few weeks we were with, uh, that we were with each other. He said, like I said, I can't wait to see what's next for Seaford Baptist. He said, don't cry for me. And I shared both those things already, but he said care, he wanted me to make sure that we would care for his family and we'd look after his family. And he said, please, please look after Lucille Clausen. And I think about that scene in, in Pilgrim's Progress animated film that was made some years ago. We just watched it recently here at the church, and Christian sees his friends in the celestial city when he arrives there, and he runs to them, arms open, my brothers! And I just wonder what that reunion, that happy reunion was like with Lucille and Jim in heaven, and I can't wait to see both of them. I miss Jim often. I think of Jim often, especially around this time of year. He's one of the most courageous men that I have ever known. He loved Jesus passionately. He loved the local church and laid his life down for it. And you know what? I don't think I have it on here, but I'll add an eighth thing, an eighth one, an eighth lesson. Jim Baring taught me that a good widower who does not intend to marry again covenants himself to the church, if I may use that word. And we have men in our church right now doing this. I won't say their names because I wouldn't want to embarrass them. You know, Jim, um, the next time he sees me, we'll both be without sin. So he, he's not going to be able to get upset with me for talking about him on this podcast. Though, let me tell you, if he was alive, he would not want to be talked about like this on this podcast. But I have no problem uh, lauding his legacy here, here on, on this podcast today. But no, I won't say the names of these other men, but Jim showed me that, hey, if you lose your wife and you're not going to get married again, then just marry the church. And he did. He just went all in on the local church. And all that time that he used to give his wife, he gave to, the, he gave to his, 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 his uh, family and his grandkids and his kids and everything. It's not that he abdicated those responsibilities, but man, did he just give his love and affection to this church. And we have men doing that right now. And I am thankful for it. We love our widows. We don't talk about widowers as much. We have amazing widowers here at Seaford Baptist. And I imagine, Christian, that if you are in a multi-generational church and you were to look around your congregation, that you have some incredible widows there as well, or widowers there as well. So that is it for today. I hope this has been uplifting to you. It's been cathartic for me. It's been uplifting to me. I'll be honest, flat honest with you, Pilgrim Devotion audience, I kind of came to the podcast today angsty, uh, unsettled by how busy I am. Like I said, I haven't got to watch all the movies I want to watch and sing all the songs I want to sing, and I feel like I haven't got to participate in the Christmas traditions quite at the level that I would like to uh, thus far. Um, but you know what? Just sitting here talking about Jim has softened my heart. It really has. And it makes me long for heaven. It makes me long for the new earth when we will all be together forever.
How's your soul, Christian? How's God's grace at work in your life? And how would you like to see his grace at work in your life? If you examine yourself asking these questions, you need to talk to a pastor. Please reach out to us. Connect at SeafordBaptist.com. This is probably our last podcast for the year. I've loved the last seven or uh, six months or so getting to do this, and I look forward to 2024 being an a even better year and an even more full year for the Pilgrim Devotion crowd. Until next time, keep living the Pilgrim life.